Welcome to the Trinity Table Talk podcast, a resource for Trinity Anglican Church out of Littleton, Colorado. It'll be the goal of this podcast to serve as a resource for theological education and spiritual reflection for all those who might listen. I'm Andrew Winnegar, and I'm joined today, of course, by Father Tim Suits uh, and a very special guest, Bishop Thad Barnum. Thank you so much, Bishop Thad. It is a joy to be with you guys, and I love Trinity, and um, such a joy to be with you guys last year. And thank you for having me on this podcast. Absolutely. This is the one good podcast of the whole season, Church. <laughs> we have that. So in the last podcast, we talked a bit about the history of the English Reformation um, and the establishment of the Church of the uh, Church of England. And I know that, um, so the Episcopal Church is the Church of England in America, um, but we're a part of something called the ACNA. We don't call ourselves Episcopalians. We call ourselves Anglicans. I'm really curious that how did this happen? Uh, well, let's um, let's look at it this way. It, um, the Episcopal Church is one province in the Anglican Communion. And so the Church of England um, is a province in the Anglican Communion. There are 38 provinces worldwide. And so many of us call ourselves Anglicans. Um, it can also be called Episcopalian or Episcopal. Um, so they're interchangeable. Um, but we all belong to the Anglican Communion. And so coming out of the Reformation, what I would say that unites us, um, I, I always love to say it this way. There was, a, in the late 1800s, there was a thing called the Lambeth Quadrilateral, and that gave us four solid foundations, um, scriptures containing all things necessary to salvation. Second, the creeds, the historic Apostles Nicene Creed that roots us into the sufficient statement of Christian faith. Third, we've got the sacrament of baptism and the Eucharist. And then fourth, we've got the general authority, the structure of the, of the bishop or the episcopate, which is where we get the word episcopal. Um, those pinions make sure that in every generation, the, sa the saving gospel of Jesus goes forward. And those four very clear articulated uh, standards show us the structures of who we are. And so I was raised in the Episcopal Church. I was an Anglican, but I was first a creedal Christian. I belonged to the faith of Jesus Christ. And so that, that was my story growing up. The difficulty is, is that the, the Episcopal Church in the last 25 years unmoored themselves from this four quadrilateral statements, the scriptures, the creeds, the sacraments, and the historic episcopate. And um, let me just give a quick story that very fast. Um, one of the lead bishops or the lead bishop of the Episcopal Church in 1997 made this statement, the Holy Spirit is now speaking contrary to scripture. Now, once you've got that statement on the ground, you've unmoored yourself from the historic gospel of our Lord and therefore unmoored yourself from Anglicanism. Actually, from Christianity, to be quite honest, it literally became a new religion. And so we made our appeal to uh, the wider Anglican provinces, come help us. Our bishops are mad. 
They're choosing a new doctrine and a new gospel. And we need authority to come in and help us to remain who we are. We never left them. They left us when they unmoored themselves from the gospel. Enough about the Episcopal Church. We made our um, our plea, our cry went out to the global communion. The Anglican communion said, look, come help us. Come stand with us. And that is exactly what happened. The Anglican communion arrived on our shores in North America and basically threw a, a flag down in the ground and said, look, if this Episcopal Church is going to wander from the truth, we will make sure we are here to ground you in the truth. And that's how we, when cultures shift, stand fast in the faith given to us. We remained Anglicans, um, that is to say Christians, built on these four principles. And uh, and that's why we had to appeal to the global south. You know, we've, we've had Bishop John Rishahana at our church as well. Uh, we've had you, we've had Bishop Ken Ross, all of you lived this. Uh, most of us just know it as history. Could you give us a, a bit of the story about maybe some of the finer details about moments in the Anglican realignment movement that then burst what we now know as uh, the global or the Anglican realignment movement here in the United States, whether that at one time was called AMIA or PERUSA or now the ACNA, the Anglican Church in North America? What role particularly did um, Global South leaders have in that? And what did you see that they brought uniquely and differently? Um, what gift of the spirit did they carry with them into that moment of crisis? Well, it's fascinating that you ask that because uh, in the in, in in our story, in the story that Erilyn, my wife and I, uh, in the late 1990s, we were planting a church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, next to uh, the only real Episcopal seminary, maybe there were two or three, that made sure they were steadfast on the Bible being the word of God. And that's where we met John Richahana and developed a relationship with John Richahana and began to work with John uh, in Africa. And so um, when the alignment began to stir, uh, our relationship with John was critical um, because we needed to have a wider Anglican world help us when the Episcopal Church was crumbling in front of us. So we made our call to them. And the, the unique unction that they had was to come and stand with us and go to uh, uh, different places in America to say, uh, we're going to keep you safe. We're going to keep you protected. Um, we had a church, for example, in Little Rock, Arkansas. This new gospel had come to the cathedral in Little Rock. And uh, and the um, some of the leaders uh, uh, of that cathedral said, look, we can't go with the new gospel. We're going to plant a church out. We're not going to cause any difficulty. We're just going to plant a church out. And the bishop who sponsored this new horrible gospel said, you cannot plant this church. We will not allow it. Well, John Richahan, I, I don't. I'm not sure some of our people know what you mean when you say new gospel. What do you mean when you say that? Before we continue oh, the story, I'm so sorry. I, 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 what I meant by that was, um, when the Episcopal Church decided to unmoor themselves from the Bible, they took on a new gospel that basically does not include uh, Jesus our Lord as being the sole gift of salvation to us at the cross. They, they began to 
give a new gospel that all religions uh, uh, are, um, it's, it's the progressive gospel we now hear, that all mm. religions work, um, the, the sexual confusions we have in our in our day, the sexual ethics that have been so confused, they've adopted it rather than actually stood on scripture against it. Um, mm. Does that make sense to you? Am I helping makes you with that? makes absolute sense. That, that, I think that will clarify for our people. So keep going about the church in Little Rock with that in mind. Well, it's just that the bishop would not sponsor it. So John mm -hmm. Rajahana came to us in 1997, 98, and said, if a bishop will not stand with Christians, I will come from Africa as a bishop, and I will stand with that church. And that was the first time we had a global South Episcopal leader, a bishop, an Anglican bishop, stand on American shore and literally become the bishop over that church. And that took courage. Bishop John came out of Rwanda in 1998. They were only four years away from the time that they went through genocide in, in 1994, where a million people were killed in Rwanda. They cried out in their day of stress and nobody came to their rescue. Yet we cried out in our distress and Richahana was there immediately. The Archbishop was there, Polini, immediately. Because in Africa and in the global South, you have a very clear statement. If somebody cries out for help, we go. We will mm. suffer with them. We do not stand back and do nothing. Mm. We don't stand as a bystander and say, I'm not going to get involved. And that was the charism of the global South, both Southeast Asia, Rwanda, uh, Uganda, eventually Nigeria, we began to see provinces rise up and say, when the gospel of Jesus is threatened, we will stand with our Christians. And that's what they did. They came to America and they stood with us. And they're the ones that birthed ACNA to be what ACNA is today. They put their covering over us. We are now part of them. Uh, today, um, the the the, the structures have now been called GAFCON. Um, that's just a, a name that that unites the global South provinces uh, um, that are standing for the historic gospel, not this new gospel of of a, of a new progressive day. Mm -hmm. um, and so they burst a CNA that, and we got to be part of watching that, so that we could remain faithful to the scriptures. Uh, faithful to the creeds, faithful to the sacraments, faithful to the the general sense of oversight, Episcopal oversight, bishop oversight that governs us. Is that helpful mm. to you guys? Andrew, is that helpful to you? Absolutely. I appreciate, I think the language you used in um, Never Silent, your book, was J Bishop John at one point saying, there is no firewall that exists uh, between... Um, something happening on a different part of the world when it, we're talking about the the Christian communion. Um, when fire starts there, we have to address it. And he took that seriously. Yeah, he basically said, you can't say that um, if the Methodists go off track, it doesn't affect Anglicans because we're Christians. We belong together. Um, mm -hmm. We belong to the Lord. There's no firewall. Um, and so they saw that what was happening in the Episcopal Church would actually spread everywhere if it wasn't stopped, if there wasn't a response. Mm -hmm. May I tell you one more story quickly? Yeah, please. Oh, Tim, ask your question. Go ahead. 
Oh, no, please, please tell us that. Let, let me just give you a sense of the, of the strength of the Global South for a moment. In 1998, when all the bishops worldwide met at a conference called Lambeth, um, there, was, uh, there was this sound of this new gospel that was coming out of America, where they were denying the essentials of scripture and our faith. And there was a new sexual ethic being born that that we're seeing now in our day come alive, where um, there's just a, a freedom to bless anything that is uh, that is outside what we know to be the covenants of marriage. So they meet, meet in Lambeth, and the Africans had never, Lambeth is where all the bishops met, that's what it's called, all the bishops met together in, in August of 98. The, the Africans had never spoken at one of those meetings. They happened every 10 years. The sound of an African's voice came in 1988 for the first time. But, but in 1998, the Africans rose as one people, the province of Nigeria, the province of Kenya, the province of Tanzania, the province of Burundi, province of Rwanda, the province of Sudan. They rose en masse and they put down on the table a resolution for all Anglicans. And that resolution is this, the Bible remains the word of God to us. And all definitions of sexual ethic come under the authority of the sovereign authority of scripture. They rooted us, you see, back to our faith. And uh, when that went to a vote, it was 82% of bishops worldwide adopted it. That means that the people in, in America did not sign on, people in Canada, people in first world places that had bought into the progressive gospel did not buy. But the sound of the Africans, the global South rose to the moment and said, our faith has been given to us once for all by our Lord. Through it, we are saved. Through it, we have eternal life. We will not compromise the scriptures. Uh, and and their voice, um, the ones who are in global south that have known poverty and war and 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 all kinds of suffering in so many different ways, different than first world, it was their voice that was heard. And so I'm quite thankful to be part of them as they've embraced us and helped birth ACNA, the Anglican Church of North America to make us missional, to make us passionate for Jesus, and to reach our generation with that saving gospel that is uncompromised and undiluted. Guys, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it, you know, Thad, often, you know, I hear the question that I get quite a bit um, is, well, was ACNA basically just birthed out of a response to the sexual revolution? And you know, I think that's kind of a similar question to like, was the Protestant Reformation in England really about Henry VIII's divorce? Um, the answer is, yeah, you know, that had a major part of it. Yes, the response to the sexual revolution had a major part of it. But the reality was it was a number of steps back where Christ Jesus was politely but firmly told he no longer reigned. His word was no longer authoritative. He no longer had the voice of authority over the bishops of the Episcopal Church. And that's what was regained in the Anglican realignment movement is that God's word 
and Christ's authority took its proper place upon the throne of the church. Would you say that's a fair assessment? I would say that's a very fair assessment. And um, one of the reasons that I wrote Never Silent was to make sure that people could hear and understand why we needed this realignment. So for example, I was asked um, in, in June of 1998, um, seven provinces um, in the Anglican community in, the, in Central East Africa met together, 50 bishops met together. Uh, and the Archbishop of Uganda asked me to give an address about the condition and the health of the uh, Episcopal Church back home. Um, we, uh, I was able to give them record of bishops that were denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, I was able to give a document that the Bishop of, of New Jersey, of Newark, had written, denying the essential faith of the cross of Jesus. He called it his 12 theses, like the ones that Martin Luther nailed on the, on the Wittenberg door. He had this great statement that that the, that the historic Christian faith was prehistoric and no longer suitable to our present times. It was primitive. The African gospel is primitive. That's what they called it. Um, we had one bishop in Philadelphia who rose up and said that Jesus was himself a sinner. This is, this is simply a heresy at the very essence. This movement was not born, actually, on just simply the adoption of new sexual ethic, these bishops were denying the faith. They were denying the essence of our creedal faith. And when that happens, you've got to have a voice that rises up and says, no more. That's how the movement began. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So this movement continues on that. We have a history, uh, we have a present, and we have a future. So as you look at our at our look backward and you look at our present for churches like Trinity that feel um, a great deal of gratitude for what the global South has handed on to us, yes, um, a great deal of gratitude for the gift of re-evangelizing the United States. Um, my question for you is this: What, as a bishop and as someone who is deeply involved in the Anglican realignment movement, what are your hopes for the ACNA broadly? But also for churches like Trinity, you know, churches that have a ton of kids and, you know, we're, we're not the kind of church and go out and you know, change the face of Anglicanism tomorrow. We're just a faithful parish in the ACNA. What are your hopes for us? What would you love to see the spirit do and continue to do or do anew in the churches um, around around the province? So um, that's a, an amazingly um, perceptive question because it really does come down to how we live life today. And um, one of the things that I am finding, um, and I think all of us are finding, is that our culture is becoming unstable. People feel so much change that's gone on um, with the technology revolution, with the onset of COVID, with um, with just the the fears that more changes are coming. We just don't know what's happening. And so part of what we offer, um, one, as Christians and churches in general, is we offer a sense of stability in the midst of a world of 
instability. Um, in a world of change, there are things unchanging. Mm. And the reason that I think that Anglicanism has got a, a, a sense of purpose, meaning for our culture, is it anchors us um, into the past that brings the past to the present and gives an anointing to the present that enables us to see a way forward in the future that's stable. Um, our forebears passed down to us an inheritance. Uh, that inheritance grounds us. It grounds us in the present. It gives us foundations. So on a Sunday morning, when people are going, oh, we have to do the creed again. Yeah, actually, listen to the sound of it. Just listen. Our forebears gave it to us so that in our day, when you hear new gospel come out, you'll know and be able to discern what's right and what's wrong, what's true, what's false, what's good, what's evil, what's holy, what's profane. You'll know inside of you stability in the world that's so shifting. We provide that in our liturgy. We provide that in the proclamation of the gospel. And most of all, and you can feel it at Trinity when I was there, you can feel it in the community gathered, the relationships that are there and the relationships that are built on substance. Um, if I learned one thing from Africa, they prized in the East African revival of the 1930s and on the, the passage from 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So come, let us have relationships that aren't superficial. Let's walk in the light. Let's build, let's build small groups. Let's build community where when things get upset in my life, there's a connection. I can call somebody. Um, we can pray together. When I've sinned, I can know that there's a, a passage of repentance and confession that's rooted in the past that can actually cleanse me by the blood of Jesus in the present. I think Anglicanism gives us the structures of stability in a very unstable, ever-changing and confusing time that we live in. Our kids are massively confused by things going on. Here's a place where there's peace and order. Does that make sense? Is that a helpful response? It does. Absolutely. Yeah. Andrew, how do you respond to that? Um, silently and with, uh, attentive ears. Uh, no, I think that was the draw for me of going from, um, the church background where like novelty is prized. Um, it's sought after to seeking after a historical tradition where the old is, uh, not a, a derogatory term. Uh, it's it's held in high regard because it it grounds our present and gives vision for the future. So that that resonates a lot. So Thad, when I think about um, and this may maybe be our our last question for today, uh, when I look at the history of the Anglic or the Episcopal Church in, in the United States, it's very easy to look at it as. Um, something big and bureaucratic and impersonal but churches are merely you know the personification and the collection of of people 
they reveal actually an inner spirit of the people that lead them. And in our culture today, many of us are experiencing our friends deconstructing, our friends leaving the faith. Maybe people listening to this podcast themselves are being tempted by the new gospel in some part of their life, some area where they say, Jesus, I want to submit to you here, here, and here, but not here. Uh, and that's often in my experience where the devil begins a work of untethering us from the historic faith and the Lordship of Jesus Christ um, and his goodness. So Thad, what would you say are, if you could give a word to the people of Trinity on how in the power of the Holy Spirit, um, God's people stay tethered to, grounded in his gospel for their entire lives, that they wouldn't be a, a momentary flame that burns out, but that they would shine brightly for Jesus for the for the long haul. Well, you've actually opened a door that we could spend another hour and more, um, I'm afraid, only because it really touches um, a, a deep passion inside of me. And that is that um, Jesus told us to go and make disciples. And what that means is, is what any parent knows, that as um, you're watching Miles and James grow, you're, you and, and Laura are, are setting in your home uh, um, all kinds of ways that facilitate growth in character. And you're teaching them the things that are honorable in life. Um, our people are getting so discipled by culture that it's impacting their ability to hear scripture, to hear God, to hear the Lord speaking to us by the Holy Spirit, bringing us to saving faith and rooting us deep inside the kingdom principles of life. His heart for us, the culture is stealing us because we're not discipling our own. People don't have time. They don't have time for Bible study. They don't have time for fellowship groups. They don't have time. People don't have time. And so it ends up happening as they come to church and they get their fix of church, but they're not in a process of learning to grow on the principles that are built, um, that the Lord has given us on kingdom life, uh, kingdom truth, what he wants to say. The Holy Spirit leads us in truth. He wants to build in us godly character and this is the one thing that I want to say to you about what I've learned so much about the Rwandans is early on, for example, they disciple their, their young Christians to know that suffering is going to come. The suffering of, of, of life with poverty and with war and with sickness and that the death is real, that people get hurt and how to see the Lord in it. Um, the same thing for those who testify of the Lord and are persecuted for testifying of the Lord. Their, their Christians are discipled in suffering. I feel like sometimes our Christians, the moment suffering happens, they're gone. There's an entitlement inside them that says, you know what? If the Lord does that to me, I'm done with him. It's they just because they don't know him yet. They don't understand him yet. And so I just want to echo that the discipling of our own is what grounds us in long-term faith, building a relationship with Jesus that can endure suffering, that can endure trials, that, um, that won't allow the changing culture 
to be so loud in our voices, our ears, our hearts, our minds. Um, our people need to be filled with the Spirit and filled with his word and grown in strong character. And that is what roots us for long-term faith in life. Um, that's sort of rambling. I'm sorry, but does that make sense? It makes sense that uh, it makes absolute sense. And I think that that word right there is just the perfect uh, example of um, the faith handed on to us, especially from leadership in the global South. So thank you very much. Andrew, I think that that's a great place to conclude for, for us today. Thad, thanks for being on. Thank you for right. being a father in the faith and being a bishop that has served me and our church so faithfully and served our diocesan bishop, Ken Ross, so well. Um, and we are just so grateful for you and your legacy in our church. And, and we love you dearly. Thank you. Love you back. And I pray for you and I pray for Trinity and so grateful for the witness of each of you. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We hope to see you in the next one. For more resources or information about Trinity Anglican Church, please visit trinitylittleton.com.